welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. It's the day before the World Cup final. I'm with Jesse Barker Humphreys in Sydney. Jesse, just over 24 hours to go until the big show. How are we feeling? Feeling excited. I mean, I'm feeling a little hungover because we did go to the iconic Dykedelic last night. Um, <laughs> but what better way to start a World Cup final weekend? Um, went for a nice walk this morning, saw some people walking around with England scarves on. So it's good to know there are some fans here. <laughs> That's good that there's vibes because I do, yeah, I do really feel outnumbered completely. I went for a very cold swim to, to shoot the hangover out of me. But great night out in uh, Surrey Hills last night. Uh, for me, I think the World Cup final hasn't really sunk in. And I was talking to Jen O'Neill about this on, God, I've lost track of the days, but a couple of days ago, the, the morning after the semi-final anyway. And we were both saying, and anyone who knows Jen O'Neill, she's been working with football forever, runs, she kicks. And she, and she was saying, how are you feeling? And I was like, to be honest, it doesn't feel real. And I don't really know why. Part of me thinks, is that because this journey for England didn't involve the USA. And in my head, any journey to a World Cup final for England involved defeating the US. And that was the only way that they were going to get there. So now to have England through without even facing the US and also, a, 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 you know, two European teams in the final, it just hasn't really sunk in yet. And I don't know if it's that or just it's so surreal do you feel similar at all, Jesse? I know what you mean. I think there's an element of the fact that it is just so surreal. I feel like it, I feel like it really hit me when we won. So when I was at the semi-final, and I think it will hit me again when we we get to Stadium Australia for the final. But definitely in this like bit before, I think maybe also it's a bit surreal because so many people were down on England before this tournament. Um, and like, I understand why, you know, I think definitely the way people thought England's potential journey to the final, like it didn't play out in the, in, you know, the way people predicted ahead of the tournament. And there were good reasons to think maybe England weren't going to be able to get here. And I wonder if that, there's also a sense of that, like at the Euros, I just, we famously basically felt it was our God-given right to make the final and, and win, you know, like I remember sitting in that Spain game in the quarterfinal when we were 1-0 down, just thinking like, there's no way this ends here, like it's not right. Um, so I wonder if there's that sense as well of just being like, people didn't really think about it, people weren't really expecting it, there wasn't the same kind of expectation that's also sort of meant that it's kind of come as a bit of a surprise. Yeah, I definitely didn't think this was going to be England's year. And I had us down as certainly losing to Germany in the quarterfinal. And Germany didn't even get there. So there you go. It's been uh, probably a really good opportunity, this tournament for England, because everything's kind of opened up and, and it's all like they haven't deserved it. They played exceptionally well. But it's been, I think, a good year to be a team where things are clicking. And given the injuries, I just think the fact they've got to the final is... Uh, a hell of a run. So we're going to get stuck into a little bit of a preview ahead of tomorrow's game, talking about Spain, talking about England. So let's chat through that after this. Jesse, of all the teams that England could have faced in the final, Spain do really give me the heebie-jeebies because of that Euros quarterfinal. Because they have pain we in their name. Because <laughs> <laughs> they have pain. Very good. They have pain in their name. I'm getting PTSD. Um, but we were we were all there in Brighton, and both you and I were, were, were thought we were watching England's Euros campaign slip away before our eyes, and it was a very stressful game. They got the job done, didn't play very well. It was probably one of the shakiest performances they've had under Serena Wiegmann. So because of that, the prospect of facing this team, this Spain team in the final, even without three of their key players, really does 
scare the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, I think that's understandable. And I think part of the reason it's so scary is that we know how high the quality of that Spanish team is. You know, I think it's fair to say they're not always the most tactically adept side, um, but they have a level of technical quality that means they almost doesn't have to matter like their plan a is so good a lot of the time that you don't even have to look for for plan b um and i think we saw that kind of you know the failure of that at the euros um but it's also understandable to think well you know what does it look like i think anytime when you play a team for a second time it again feels I don't know. It starts to add that extra, like, that's like the creation of the rivalry, right? Um, I think, like, from a neutral perspective, it's a really fun matchup. Um, I just think the way that both teams play football is, like, at a high enough level, but different enough to make it quite hard to predict. Like, I can see things going, like, things suiting each team, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I Spain, are, Spain is scary, but, like... Let's be honest, there probably aren't many World Cup finals that we could go into and not be scared of the opponent because you're playing a World Cup final. Like, <laughs> whoever you're playing has, like, got there by beating a lot of other teams, so. True, and anything can happen. Form and, you know, everything just goes out the window a lot of the time in these finals. Also, it's really interesting because I actually think when you look at Spain's journey to the final, England are, a, 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 the way that England play um, and the prospect of facing England is, is something they haven't yet faced in this tournament, that, that style and the way that England are going to, are going to approach the game, which I think is going to be interesting for them to set up against. I think the thing that really terrifies me the most, and we wait to see if Rachel Daly, how impacted she is uh, by an injury that she seemed to pick up at the end of the Australia game. We're doing this pod just before, a few hours before Serena Beeman's match day minus one press conference. So there might be an update in that, but Rachel Daly did did look like she injured herself in that game. And Daly really struggled in that Spain game. She did get substituted um, late on for Alex Greenwood, but she really, really struggled. And I think that's, that's something that's making me really nervous. I don't think Daly's looked super comfortable in that left wing back role. Um, you know, she, she isn't as strong defensively as she is going forward. And I think obviously that is an area that Spain probably will target and given what happened in Brighton I'm just thinking about that quite a lot and how Onya Bache if she does play on the right she's played on the left and right in this tournament how she might really be able to get the best on that side yeah I mean I think obviously something that goes in England's and Rachel Daly's favour is the change of formation you know the fact that there is sort of going to be Alex Greenwood sat behind her um, and I thought Greenwood and Daly actually played really well in and kept Hayley Rasso and Ellie Carpenter incredibly quiet in that Australia game. Um, and I thought it was really interesting, like even when Courtney Vine came on, it felt like Daly then switched her attentions to her and it meant that England almost had like two bites of the cherry. So it was like Daly was up against Vine, but then Vine got past her, Greenwood was still there. Be interesting to see if they do something with Alba Redondo as well. Um, I assume Batia will play on the left and go up against Lucy Bronze, um, just because. Which will be a hell of a duel as well. That will be a hell of a duel, and yeah, just because we've seen Oyana Hernandez um, play and she only missed the semi-final because of card accumulation. But then also, who knows? Jorge Vilda's like really switched his team around and and made it quite unpredictable. Um, but I think. The thing that will be really interesting is normally when you look at Spain, you, and this, we saw this in the Japan game, 
even though they've got these threats out wide, they tend to still like to play quite centrally. They like to obviously play the ball into people like Aitana. Um, but against Sweden, actually, they were a lot more direct. Like, they did look to play the ball over the top, out towards Redondo, in behind that Swedish defence. Um, I'm intrigued to see, like, sort of what tactic they... they do against England. I think England's backline is more mobile than the Swedish backline and could deal with that potentially better. But um, it was interesting to see Spain like move away from some of that like <laughs> kind of cliche, like tiki-taka, really nice football that like we associate with them and be a bit more pragmatic ultimately, which, you know, I think is what you you need in, in World Cups. And it's something that England have been very good at. Um, but yeah, th those wide battles would be really interesting because Again, especially on that that right hand side, I think Jess Carter's shown that she can keep you know lots of very talented players quiet at this World Cup. We've seen Linda Caicedo basically not get a sniff. Caitlin Ford may as well have not been playing in the semi final, and I think Carter's had a lot to do with that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Spain prioritise with their attacking play, given that. Yeah, and like those iconic women uh, say uh, in the World Cup official anthem, if you don't like Tiki Tiki Taka, so if you don't like Tiki Tiki Taka, you got to come with something else. So there you go. So true. You mentioned you mentioned Jorge Vilda and how unpredictable he is, uh, just as a coach and more kind of, I guess, generally. Do we think we'll finally see Salma Paruello start a game? I mean, I think if I was Vilda, I wouldn't start her. Um it's it's this classic it's a, the England debate from last year, right? If your substitutes are doing really well, oh, everyone goes you should start them. But I think we've seen actually that maybe Salma's best use is to come on against tired legs. I do think as much as she's had a fantastic World Cup, when you've seen her start big games before, whether it's for Spain or for Barcelona, she has a bit of a tendency sometimes to fade out of them. It's, it's similar with Lauren James, I think. I just think ultimately when you've got these sort of young players who haven't found, always found the way to insert themselves in the game or or have the sort of maturity to know what to do when they can't get the ball, um, they can drift out. Whereas it feels like Salma, whenever she's come on later on in matches, she's obviously had this really clear direction basically to, to run and run and run. It reminds me of um, in the 2011 World Cup, Pearson Target told, Alex Morgan, like, I'm not going to coach you. I'm not going to give you any instruction. Like, just go on the pitch and, like, run around. And I feel like that's that's what Sam was being told to do. And, and it's obviously, like, really working out for them. Um, I think what will be interesting to see will be if she does play, whether it's to start or to come on, whether she's used as the nine or on the left. Because, obviously, the Netherlands goal comes when she's on the left. Against Sweden, she played as the nine, and I thought totally changed the game um, in that kind of area. But equally, I think the yeah England's defense is probably pacier than Sweden's um you know I think playing up against sort of Magda Eriksson and Amanda Ilistet is a bit different when compared to like Alex Greenwood and Millie Bright and Jess Carter um so yeah I mean Spain have so many selections to make you know will Alexia start will Esther Gonzalez start like that's what I wanted to ask you because Gonzalez started the, the at the towards the start of the tournament then she dropped out she's been a bit of an impact sub ish but I do think she's looked better than than Jenny well the other question I wanted to ask was Alexia because there was that clip that was widely shared of her being pretty pissed off at coming off um in the Sweden game and it opened a lot of questions about Jorge Vilda, obviously those ongoing issues, but also just Alexia's role in this tournament. So where do you think the situation is going to be there? Because like she hasn't been amazing, but she is Alexi Pateas. So like it's, it just seems odd that she might not play a part in this Spanish story. Yeah, it's a really strange one, isn't it? And I think it's obviously made stranger by the fact that it's not entirely clear what her situation is with 
her fitness and how much of this is fitness versus form. And obviously it's very easy sort of to like imply that she's not fully fit or not match ready. But I don't know whether that is the case. I think if you were watching this game and you didn't know who anyone, or if you were watching Spain, you didn't know who anyone was. I don't think you start Alexia, like based on her performances at the World mm -hmm. Cup. But, you know, it's like you say, she is Alexia. And you're also like, well, you know, surely it's going to click at some point for her. But I think ultimately, if if I was in charge of the Spanish team, I I would be inclined to play Jenny in midfield and then Esther or potentially Salma as the nine. I think just like based on form alone, it just feels like Alexia's really struggled to impose herself on games. And, you know, Jenny can be a controversial player, I think, in terms of her input but she's certainly thrown herself around the pitch I think in a way that's like really benefited Spain and I think she gives them like this extra bit of aggression which I think they need and I think is really useful for them so and obviously something they missed at the Euros as well so I think she has made a big difference to the team so it will be interesting to see I think Jenny starts regardless but I would be inclined to not start Alexia I think yeah you do see Jenny being really important in the physical battles that I think that's how England really saw of Australia is that that the fitness and just the physicality, Australia just couldn't hack it. They were tired. It was a big run. But I do think Jenny's going to be crucial in like the battles with Jess Carter, the battles with Millie Bright. Um, and, you know, there could be some real kind of epic um one-on-one -on -one situations. We've talked at length throughout the tournament. Um, obviously we had Mark on recently about the situation with Spain and Jorge Vilda and and the narrative going into this final is a bit weird as a result. Um, what do you think? And I know this is like a big question, um, but like, what do you think the legacy is going to be of for this team, regardless of what the result is on Sunday? But like, even the fact that they got us to the final, which is huge for for the team for women's football in Spain. Like, what do you think the legacy is going to be because of everything else that's that's been brewing in the background? Yeah, there's obviously a couple of different readings on it, right? Some people seem to feel that the players reaching the final or the players winning will give them, you know, more influence within with the Spanish Federation, you know, by becoming even more public figures. But to me, that feels like a bit naive in terms of how the Spanish Federation tends to operate. I do think this will have entrenched Jorge Vilda's role further. But, you know, ultimately, that's been because there are, players within that team that decided that was worth it you know I kind of think they made a deal with the devil in that sense and they basically said as much you know after after matches and and that's kind of up to them I think that's a shame for Spanish football in general um you know I'm sure they tell you that they feel like they ch you know things were changed before this World Cup and maybe the World Cup is proof of that that they got things that they wanted and that allowed them to pull together I think if you look at the way they behave with Jorge Vilda that's not necessarily, that doesn't really ring true, does it? That's not someone who's then rallied around their manager. And I also don't think, you know, even in terms of some of the stuff that's been said, it's just like, if you didn't like him before, you, you won't like him after, given how he's like talked about it throughout the past year. Um, I think it, it's, it's a really frustrating one because ultimately Spain being in the final, whether they win or not, in combination with Barcelona being the best team in the world is, you know, a great... <laughs> a great advert for for Spain and for Spanish football. And obviously on the men's side, Spanish football's struggled in recent years, you know, to to really like sort of recapture the, the form they had, obviously, back in 2014, 2016, that kind of time. It's really frustrating, you know, and I think Mark really summed it up when he's just said he can't enjoy it as much as he wants to. And, you know, I feel very lucky as an England fan that 
you know, if you think of like the near misses we had before when, you know, 2015, 2019, we almost got to World Cup finals with Mark Sampson and Phil Neville. I don't think either of the, well, Sampson, I guess, maybe is on the level of, of Vilder. I, I think it'd be harsh on Phil Neville to put him on the level of Vilder because I think he's more incompetent um, rather than as opposed to cruel. Um, but I think if you think back to like what that would have felt like, I think there would have been the same sense maybe of being like, huh, it's like really not quite like how we envisaged it or how we wanted it, even though you would obviously have enjoyed it. I think we're very lucky as as England fans that that this team and this manager is so likable in that sense. And like that feels like a real privilege in some ways when you look at women's football throughout the world. Yeah, definitely. We are very lucky because Serena Wiegmann is a legend. So that is the Spanish side of things. Let's talk about England next. Jesse, after the semi-final, tons of people asked us to talk about LJ because that was the first thing that came to people's minds after we won the game. Obviously, she's back after her suspension. So we had loads of tweets being like, will she start LJ? Will she start LJ? Toon deserves to start, blah, 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 blah. So I think that she probably should start Toon and she probably will start Toon. What do you think she will do? But what do you think she should do? Yeah, I'm with you. I think she will start Toon and I think she should start Toon. I've spoken about this so much. Like We talked about it before the semi-final as well um, when, when we were in the stands. And I said then that I felt like Toon had to have a really good game against Australia to justify starting if England were to make the final. And I think she did that. And I think that's why Wiegmann won't look to to shift things around because I do feel like Wiegmann tends to be loyal to players who've like performed for her um, and who she feels like she can rely on. And I think Toon scoring that opener felt like a moment where, you know, she could rely on. And I also thought she played a really important role in terms of trying to limit the impact that Katrina Gorey and Kyra Cooney-Cross had on the game. And, you know, I, I do feel like the lack of time they were able to have on the ball, you know, forcing them into doing more the sort of defensive elements of their job rather than the passing elements um, is one of the reasons why England were able to win that game. Equally, Teresa Abellera has probably been, you know, she's probably in line to win player of the tournament potentially for Spain you know she's she's looked really good in in filling the the Patrick Iara shaped hole uh, that arose in that midfield and I think similarly England having someone to deal with her and to limit her impact because I feel like what's happened is teams have focused a lot on on Aitana and how they limit Aitana um and that's given um Tere more time on the ball um more opportunity to influence proceedings so I feel like as well in that sense I think Toon feels better set up to do that kind of like gritty defensive work more so than LJ, mainly because the last time we saw LJ doing defensive work, she trod on a woman's back. Um, So I think it's fair to say maybe we shouldn't uh, rely on her for that. And look, she's a fantastic player to to come off the bench. I I know in that super sub role, she's not always looked great, great for Chelsea. um, But we saw against Haiti that, I think she can do that for this England team. Um, so I think we'll see some of her, definitely. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd start tuning. Yeah, and 
obviously that was a pretty harsh lesson for Lauren James to learn quite quickly about discipline in major tournaments and discipline in general. But I think as a whole, she doesn't necessarily have that defensive side to her game yet. And that's probably something Emma Hayes is really trying to drill into. And I think she's mentioned that before, you know, that hard off the ball work, which is one of the hardest things to master. A few people after England got through um, were asking me about, oh, is it going to be a, a massive advantage um, to England because Kira Walsh and Lucy Bronze play with so you know a lot of the Barcelona players and you know they'll 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 be able to use that to her advantage. I mean you could say that vice versa with the Spanish players that play with Walsh and Bronze, but I didn't really know what to say because I thought yeah, but I mean like th- that doesn't really matter because it will still like it, y- what do you know? You don't know like they still you still have to shut them down like it doesn't matter if you know how they play inside out like you still have to try and stop it um I don't know if you think any different on that or there's a particular advantage you think England might be able to tap into no I think you know as you say both both teams I'm sure will feel that way about each other you know I'm sure Toon and Russo will feel like okay well we played against Onabatia all the time in training like maybe we'll take a run at her or equally yeah if you're Mariona and you're coming up against Lucy Bronze you probably know Lucy Bronze's weaknesses but ultimately there's then a hell of a lot of other players in this team who you're not going to know as well I think it's fun because I think it adds this like extra element of rivalry like I think it you know I think that was true with the the Australia game there was something very kind of satisfying about watching all these you know players come up against each other who know each other so well obviously from so much of the Australian squad playing in in the WSL and you know the moment when Sam scores against Mary Earps is hilarious because she always scores against Mary Earps and watching (laughs) Millie Bright and Jess Carter sort of like just turn into holograms as Sam starts running at them it's like probably they were like (laughs) this is what everyone else in the WSL feels like all the time so I think yeah it's, it's enjoyable but I don't think it gives anyone any real advantage you know Spain don't play in the same way that Barcelona play England definitely don't play like Barcelona um so yeah I think you know there's obviously like a lot of healthy respect between the players but I don't think it really impacts that much yeah and I think it will be it will be fun to see those individual battles like you say between club teammates even though it might be slightly terrifying. England have come into good form at the right time and and really taken their chances. Lauren Hemp and Alyssa Russo have just been phenomenal uh, in the last two games and Lauren Hemp is giving herself a, a, a shot I think at a player of the tournament just on the last few games alone but Who are the players you think are going to be absolutely critical for England on Sunday? I think Georgia Stanway um, will be key. And I think she's had a really underrated tournament, actually. Um, I think she's basically not put a foot wrong aside maybe from missing that first penalty in the in the penalty shootout um yeah I I felt like I feel like against Spain everything is about the midfield understandably and I think being able to gain control of that midfield um will be really important and I think Stanway's shown and she talked about this um you know saying about how she she's very data focused you know she likes looking at all her numbers and this year she's really you know tried to improve in terms of being that all-round box-to-box midfielder um you know making sure she doesn't get silly yellow cards and and that she can impact creatively as well as defensively and I think it'll be really interesting to see her up against the Spanish midfield I do think Rousseau and Hemp will be fascinating as well you know as you said I think they've been revelatory as a front two together I think they really complement each other well and I do think that okay the Japan game was you know sort of this 
miraculous one-off match. It didn't really impact Spain. Jesse, but... on, on that, do you think England will try and take that approach that, that Japan did? It's not how we traditionally play, but do you think they'll try and really focus on quick transition counter-attack plays? I don't think they'll look to sit back. I think that's why you're right to say this is a different challenge for Spain than the ones they've had so far. I think, you know, Japan... Netherlands, Sweden, I'm not counting Switzerland on this because that was like one of the worst performances I've seen at this entire World Cup. Um, they all kind of wanted to try and sit back and just sort of limit Spain that way, let them have the ball. I don't think England will be interested in doing that, but I think what they will take from it is the vulnerabilities within that Spanish back line. There's been a lot of chopping and changing there. I assume maybe we'll see Paredes and Codina together again. Um, you know, all part of this weird thing where Jorge Vilda's like obsessed with giving his captaincy to players who then don't play with, you know, Ivana Andres and Olga Camona both wearing the armband at points and, and probably not going to start this final. I know Andres has obviously had injury issues throughout the tournament. Um, but I think England will feel like there's vulnerabilities to exploit there. I think in, in not not only the um, the Japan game, but the Netherlands game showed that as well. Um, and I think if Sweden could have strung like more than one pass together, um, they would have found them there too. There, there were moments, you know, where you saw Canada kind of repeatedly getting in behind that back line. It's just that the way Sweden was setting up, the crosses going in weren't good enough and Rolfo tucked in so there was no one running at the back post. England's wing-back system is perfect for that. You know, the idea of Lucy Bronze running in or Rachel Daly running in from those sides is very attractive if they can find that same space. So I think how Hemp and Rousseau can exploit potentially that lack of familiarity, that slight incoherence with the Spanish back line will be really interesting. Yeah, I think you have to play to your strength. You can't throw out your your usual game plan in order to try and try and tackle Spain a certain way. I think you still have to play to your strength and England will want to have the ball. But like you say, they can take a lot from Sweden's performance because defensively they're just as robust, just as strong, but they're much better on the ball and much better going forward. So that if they can contain them like Sweden did, I thought Sweden was so organised, they just couldn't create. I think England will, will have a, you know, potentially some joy there. Um, I don't want to do predictions because we haven't really done predictions the whole tournament and it's good because we don't end up jinxing things. But do you have any kind of incline like how this game is going to play out? Because I don't think it's going to be a repeat of the Euros quarterfinal, but I don't quite know what to expect. Well, my pre-tournament prediction was that England would make the final and they would lose, but it was that they would lose to the US. So <laughs> I don't know what that means for my predictions at this point. Maybe England still lose anyway. Um, I think in terms of like how this game will play out, I, obviously, I don't obviously have like an exact answer for that, but I think something that's go that will go in England's favour is that they have shown, I think, throughout this tournament that they have different plans and that they will use them to uh, to change and get back into games if they need to. I think that makes me like lean towards the idea that you know there will be times that England are going to suffer, but I wonder if that versatility ultimately will give them the edge over Spain. I think from Spain we just don't even though I think they have they've been better this tournament than they have in past at switching things up when they need to I don't think they're anywhere near as prepared let's say as Wiegmann and England are it just feels like England have about five different ways that they think they can approach games and they'll cycle through them you know we saw this against Australia that 
once Kurt equalised and the pressure was on, suddenly there was no more, you know, passing out from the back, playing through midfield. It was long balls from Millie Bright out wide and England get the second goal from that. And I just don't know if Spain have that level of range on them. Um, and I think that makes me think England might have the edge overall. Um, but I think there will be points where they definitely struggle. Um, I don't think you play the Spain team and don't struggle at any point just because they are so they are so good on the ball. They will find ways to, to put you under pressure. Yeah, it's going to be a hell of a game. Big there sigh. are two big sigh, big big sigh. There are two games left in this tournament. Third place playoff today as Australia face Sweden with a chance of a bronze medal, which is obviously huge for Australia. And then the final, England versus Spain on Sunday. Jesse, I think we'll leave it there. It's a nice sunny day. You've been recording on your lovely Airbnb terrace. So, um, you know, you've got to go on and seize the day. What's your plans the rest of the day? I think I'm going to head into Merrickville for some beers. Not right now, because it is still like 11.30. Um, <laughs> but in the afternoon, I'm going to head in. That's where uh, all the craft breweries are. So I want to go and check that out. And then hopefully see you a bit later to watch the third place. I kind of yeah. wish they did what they, you know, did in the past, which I think people see now as um you know the no one caring about women's football no one thinking about how to make the world cup work but they used to play the third fourth playoff match like directly before the final wouldn't that be fun mm. tomorrow we got to watch them back to back it would be such a fun double header it would be so so fun it would be crazy though to have all the aussies there as well it would just be carnage yeah well exactly i think that's why it'd be amazing <laughs> Well, um, yeah, let's uh, let's go have some fun. Let's go watch one more game in peace before we are terrorised tomorrow. Uh, see you all then. We'll be back, of course, on Sunday with a reaction to the final. It's either going to be head loss joy or uh, tears and pain. It's going we'll to be head loss either way. <laughs> it's going to be, yeah, we'll be head loss either way. Uh, thank you, of course, all for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon.